and Suzanne. Chicken joke. I'm Mrs. Cleaver. From Television City in Hollywood. Boy, the way Glenn Miller plays. We can rebuild him. We have the technology. Baby, you're the great. Here comes the judge. Small cowbell. That fashion. There's anything wrong with that. And now for something completely different. There's no business like show business like. Welcome to our Hollywood Hides. This is podcast episode number 34. My name is Bob McCullough. And my name is Suzanne Herrera McCullough. We're really excited about today's podcast. Uh, We interview and talk to a great friend of ours, a wonderful actress, Anna Alicia. It's been a really rough two weeks, hasn't it? Uh, I don't want to repeat it, that's for sure. We have had probably the worst cold and cough at the same time that we've ever had since we've been married. As a matter of fact, you're still sucking on throat lozenges. That's right. I hope they can't hear it. (laughs) But I can smell it. I'm not so sure. Was this the flu? Because we had a flu shot. It was. If it was the flu, I want my my money back on that flu shot. So I was reading in The Hollywood Reporter this morning that it was 60 years ago this year that Jack Warner, head of Warner Brothers Studios, had his very first televised premiere. Oh, wow. 60 years ago. Like a movie thing on television. Yeah, and now the premieres are such a big deal now. It is the Academy Award, the Emmys. They're huge. He had made The Star is Born with Judy Garland, and she had been out of the business for three years, and he was determined to make it a hit. So what he did, which was very cool, in those days, instead of emails or tweets, he sent telegrams to every possible movie star to show up. Oh, a com- command performance. Command performance, yeah. And boy, did they show up. And it was at the Pantages. Right, right in to, Hollywood. We used to live around the corner sure, from that. Sure, sure. And they all showed up. Humphrey Bogart, Frank Sinatra, James Mason, Lauren McCall, Joan Crawford, Dorothy L'Amour, Kim Novak. My favorite, Lucille Ball. And these weren't people who were on television. They were movie stars. Dean Martin, Liberace, Marilyn Monroe. I mean, the list went on and on. So movie premieres on television had never happened before. No. And you know, these pictures are so cool. Lauren Bacall, your favorite. Yes. Looking so gorgeous with a cigarette, with a very long cigarette holder. Fabulous hair. Lots of fur pieces. I have a quick, I have a quick story about Lauren Bacall that I read. Okay. You know, she was like 19 years old when she first started with Humphrey Bogart into Have and Have Not and she wanted a really husky voice so she would sound older so like a week before she, she was to show up on the set she spent every day screaming into a pillow to make her voice husky and it's been husky ever since that kind of stuff doesn't go away I'll tell you a quick story about my mom now yeah. that she's a movie star okay. my mom was a cheerleader right? and she screamed so much that she lost her voice, and when it came back... Your mom had a deep, husky voice, yeah. It came back as a very husky voice, and it doesn't go away because you 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 damage your vocal can cords. I, can I put a pillow on your face and have you scream into I it know, for a while? I know. I always sound like I'm 15, <laughs> don't right. I? We could make your voice husky. I thought you liked my voice. I love your voice, dear, but All right, I, I also will... like Lauren Bacall's voice and your mom's voice. Fine. I always I... wondered why you didn't have your mom's voice. I'm going to talk like this for now on. Uh, lower, even That's lower. That's fine. I don't think I can get any lower. <laughs> All right. What I really want to talk about again is our book. Where Hollywood hides Santa Barbara. Celebrities in Paradise. Right. We are very excited. I know I say this all the time, but we got another email from several bookstores. They want more books. Right. The reorders are coming in. Things are backing up a little bit, but you know the book is always available at Amazon.com. I don't know how they do it. They deliver instantly. Or people can come to our website at wherehollywoodhides.com and order directly from the publisher and get free shipping. And we just shipped a couple to Germany, so it's hitting crazy crazy. ends of the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very happy. The book is really... uh, Thank you, everybody. I'm so grateful. (laughs) The book is full color, hardcover, features a lot of people who live in Santa Barbara, and uh, their professional biographies with uh, great photo portraits. Today's podcast features somebody who also has a nice voice. Oh, she has a fabulous voice. But I I must say, I have been on many sets and many shows with you. And I have to say, not only was this one of my favorite shows that you worked on, this person we're about to interview, boy, did we have fun on the set of Falcon Crest. Right. Uh, Anna Alicia played Melissa Agretti and had an ongoing role on the show for seven years. 
Uh, I worked very closely with her. I was in the, in the very first uh, reading when she came into audition for the part, and we picked right. That's all I can say. We really discovered somebody who has great intelligence, amazing drive, and self-discipline. And I think what you're going to hear in this conversation is a real humanity that comes through. And she has a lot to say for people who are thinking about getting into the business. That you really do need to listen to this one. Here's Anna. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Good, good. Bob is here. Hi there. We were just talking. Hi. It's been a long time since you and Bob have spoken. A very, very long time. How are you, Bob? You know, you sound exactly the same. It's, and she also looks the same. It's almost creepy. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, you sound exactly the same, too. How, how he funny. also acts the same, Anna. <laughs> One of the things I'd like to ask you is, did I actually ever tell you that you look like you ate a lot of bananas? Say that to you. Did she remind you of that? Yes. I. Oh my God. I, I apologize. <laughs> it was very funny. No, I actually. You know what? I credit you actually for, um, you know, just getting me back in line <laughs> regarding some, uh, you know, dietary habits. Well, I apo- I apologize for for being so <laughs> blunt, but you know, there was yeah. a lot going on in those days. So, Anna, w- one of the things uh, we we really enjoy talking about on these podcasts is how people get into the business and kind of, you know, really going back to the early beginnings. Can you give us an idea what your childhood was like, uh, your parents, where you were born, things like that? Because not everybody winds up being in show business. You know, I was born in Mexico. There was a lot of music, a lot of dance. You know, little girls danced for their daddies all the time. And I just remember you know, how that felt. And it just felt kind of wonderful, you know, to uh, bring that magic into your, particularly your father's life, I think. My father passed away when I was six, and we moved to Texas at that time. And I think it was always in my heart, you know, that ability to make someone smile, you know, what that felt like. And so it kind of stayed in me. And when I was 11, They were doing a poetry contest at my Catholic grammar school, and I just raised my hands and, you know, I said, oh, you know, I I will read a poem. And, And I did, and it was called The Raggedy Man. I still remember this poem. And my Aunt Marie, who was visiting, you know, she was from San Francisco, so she knew a lot about poetry and read a lot of books. She kind of coached me on it, and I ended up getting into the finals. And it was just, again, that feeling of, you know, an artist, whatever that feeling is in your soul that you want to express. Then when I was in high school, um, again, I was sitting in a classroom. I was probably 13 years old, and Margaret Carr came into our English class, or it was our math class, and said, you know, the woman who, the girl who was supposed to do um, our, our play for our one-act competition can't do it, and it's, you know, it, it's on tomorrow. Would any one of you be willing to learn the lines and do it? And just without thinking, without any fear, I raised my hand. The next thing I knew, I was in this one-act play doing a Swedish accent. Uh, it was called The Marriage Go Round. Oh, my God. So an actress is born. At, at, what, at what age is this? 13. And we ended up winning. And it was an extraordinary feeling for me. Extraordinary feeling. It was, it was like, you know, you say an actress was born. It was like all of a sudden I knew what I was born to do kind of thing. And then Margaret Carr just took me under her wing and started nurturing me and brought me into the drama department and, you know, started doing plays like Our Town and Brigadoon and Kiss Me Kate. And, now, now, um, were your, now were your parents theatrically inclined at all? I mean, what did they think of all this? My mother was not, well, was never in the theater, but she was a personality. My mother is a personality. She's just a glorious, beautiful woman who loves to dance. And my grandma, actually my grandmother was asked to go into the opera when she was very young. She had an operatic voice and I grew up hearing her sing, you know, because we lived with her after my father died. Her name was Garitina. She was also a poet. She would write poetry. She would write acrosticos, which means poetry with you know, the, your initials of your first name at the beginning of each, you know, passage. So she was a true artist, my grandmother. And, and my mother was that type of mother who would encourage you to do whatever was in your heart, whatever you wanted to do. I had a very encouraging family, particularly my brother Bobby, you know, who just, you know, who gave me my first $100 for my first pictures and who drove me, be, drove behind me when I came out to LA to make sure that I got here safe in my is, car. Is this, is this an older brother? Yes. My, my brothers are quite a bit older than me. Um, how many, how many do you have? 
I have two brothers, uh, Bobby and Dickie. Uh, Bobby, I think, is eight or nine years older than me, and Dick's, you know, six or seven years older. Yeah, than you me. were their little sister for sure. Yeah, and so when I was, I went away to, to school at uh, Wellesley in Boston. Uh, my counselor said, "You're never going to go that far, and you have the grades, so they're going to give you a scholarship, so go." And I thought I was going to be a lawyer, actually, because it was the practical thing to do for me. Everyone said, "Do the practical thing." And uh, when I got to Wellesley in Boston. They were auditioning for a play called Crawling Arnold, and I went and auditioned and got the lead. So was, there you was, go again. Yeah, it was in my blood. And so I came home for the summer, and uh, they were opening up, just by luck, they were opening up a dinner theater in El Paso, Texas, called the Adobe. And I just went to audition. And I got one of the recurring girls that they were going to use in every show. So, so you're going to Wellesley, which is unique in itself. What yeah. was, so on your summer break, you decide to try out for dinner theater. Amazing. Yes, and the most amazing thing was that only two girls in of all the hundreds of girls tried out, and uh, I mean, got, got it out of all the hundreds of girls, and I was one of those two girls, and we were blessed with the opportunity to be in every show. So I played a, a major role in every show, whether you know it was Gaslight, I played the maid in Gaslight, I played. I mean, there were so many different shows, and they would bring celebrities from, you know, either New York or California to come down and do the show. So I was able to work not just with celebrities, but also with very, uh, you know, trained, well-trained actors from New York and Los Angeles. And and what had your formal acting training been to that point? Well, up until that point, you know, uh, again, I was very blessed because in grammar school, you know, I did some poetry, and then in high school, I did... Uh, a lot of poetry competitions, but I also did, uh, you know, on every play, every single play. So I had done musicals. I had done, like, serious dramas. I was one of the two girls that got every lead in my high school. So, so, so even though you didn't actually go to school, you were actually in school and acting at the same time. Oh, yeah. While you were working. Yeah. Yeah. And then when I got this contract at Adobe Horseshoe, I had to make a decision. I couldn't go back to Wellesley if I was going to do this contract because it was for a year. And they were paying very well because it was equity. So I was going to become an equity actress in El Paso, Texas, which is unheard of. And I was going to get paid, you know, which was great for me and my family. And you're you're like 18 years old? I'm 18 years old. And I was going to be able to also finish my education at, at the University of Texas in El Paso. So I decided not to go back to Wellesley. I went to school during the day at UTEP, and I acted at night at the Adobe Horseshoe Dinner Theater. So you were one busy young girl. Very happy young girl. And when I wasn't doing dinner theater at the Adobe, I was also doing main stage productions at the university. So, you know, in my own way, I guess, you know, I I really did get a lot of training. That was all really live theater training and experience. At what point in time did you ever wind up in front of a camera? I was actually still going to go to law school. (laughs) You were driven. (laughs) Well, I was trying to be practical, you know. Um, I wanted to help my family. You know, I wanted to, I don't know, just that foundation, that core, so that my mom would never have to worry. And I just thought, you know what, law school just makes sense. Acting is, you know, who knows what would happen with that. That's true. So when I came to Los Angeles, I actually came because I was going to take the law school exam entrance exam test. When I came here, I decided, okay, I'm going to check out Hollywood just while I'm here. I'll study for my exam for law school, and I'm going to check out Hollywood for a couple of months. And I came out here, and I found myself an agent. When you came out, did you have somebody waiting for you? Did you have contacts here? No. I had met a couple of people, obviously some people from doing the dinner theater. Um, But I found very early on that not only are they not in a position to really help you, but I also didn't feel comfortable asking for anything. I really wanted to do it on my own. So I didn't use any of my contacts. I mean, I, I you know, made a few friend calls, you know, but not, really didn't ask anybody for anything. And I just began working as a waitress at night and also studying for my, you know, test the law school entrance, and then I began to look for an agent, and I did what you never are supposed to do. I actually got a list of agencies and walked up to their doors and uh, asked for meetings, like right there on the spot. Oh, the old-fashioned way. Good for you. (laughs) 
What was that like? I enjoyed it, actually. I mean, you know, people were very nice. I mean, I got turned away a lot, you know, by the the assistants. Then I happened to walk into an office where the assistant wasn't there that day, so I was able to walk all the way through. And there was a lovely man at the other end of the desk, you know, who basically said to me, I mean, you have so much gall, you're probably going to make it. And he signed me. That Um, must have been really exciting, getting your first agent. This sounds like something out of a 1930s movie. Well, you know what? It felt like that, too, Bob. And the interesting thing is, at that time, and this is actually something I should remember now, but at that time, I actually thought I was interviewing them to see if they were going to be right for me. You know, it was a very different attitude. You know, it wasn't that I, you know, thought so much of myself or my talent or anything. I just... I don't know. There was a kind of an innate belief in my myself, in myself as a human being, in myself, that I could somehow surpass obstacles and obtain my goals. I think that comes when you've struggled all of your life and you've surpassed goals. You know, Anna, I think a lot of actors forget that not only are the agents interviewing them, but they are should be interviewing them as well. I think I think we do forget that because yes. we feel in a position of weakness. We feel like they, you know, without them we can't do anything and and it's just not a position really that that, that makes for anything good. Well, you, you know, know, it's it's it that, I think that holds true in all aspects of life. Uh, a door-to-door salesman doesn't sell a single fuller brush if he doesn't have tremendous confidence. And when you walk into a room and you know yourself and what your strengths are. You can't have false confidence. It doesn't work for yourself. It doesn't work for anybody. You actually have to develop confidence. And it's an interesting thing. That's why what I was saying about surmounting obstacles, I think that that, you know, constantly getting, falling down, getting back up, falling down, getting back up is such great training for this business. And I also think you have to keep your legs. You have to keep working at it, keep doing it, and and get the proper training. I mean, I think some people are just gifted, but even the gifted people, I think, are working it on the, in their own way, you know, in a private way. Um, I'm sure, you know, Brando was working it all the time. And that's what I'm finding now is I'm going back to it, is just, you know, you, getting those legs again, getting back up again, getting, you know, not just your confidence again, but, but your confidence is coming from working. Right, from right. doing it. So, Anna, do you remember your very first speaking role in front of the camera when you came out? Oh, God, yes. I remember two things. I remember my first screen test. Oh, tell was, us about that. I had just gotten my agent. I had been in L.A., you know, what, two months working as a waitress and uh, studying. And he said, you know, I've got an interview for you. This is a really big guy at NBC. He heads all the casting at NBC. His name was Joel Firm. He said, you're going to go in to see him. Um, I walk in to meet Joel Thurm, and I sit opposite him, and we have a conversation. And he said, you know, you're very interesting to me. He goes, you're, you know, five pounds overweight. (laughs) Oh, my God. Already? So I wasn't the first? (laughs) No, you were not the first. I was, you know, I've never been a skinny girl. But uh, although now they tell me I'm skinny, and and it's like I don't want to be skinny. But he said, but there's just something really, there's something different about you. And he had never seen me act or anything, and I barely... You know, had pictures. I had no resume other than, you know, what I did in school in the, the Adobe. So he said, I've got a screen test going on tomorrow that uh, you're not, I'm not going to put you on the screen test. I've already got what I need, but I, I'm going to add you on to the, to the end of it just because I've got the cameras and I want to see what you look like on film. So I go in the next day and I've got my jeans and my t-shirt on. I wasn't a big dresser. I've never really was a big dresser. He says, hey, hey, I'm going to lend you my sweater because you need you got to look a little bit more upscale. Oh, that's funny. So um, so he, he lends me a sweater. And then I had never seen, you know, like a camera. I mean, I'd never been in front of a camera. Right. You know, I, I knew what, you know, what marks on the ground were just from stage. I knew that you had to walk here and walk there. Uh, but I didn't know anything about the camera. And so right before the audition, the screen test, he says, okay, all, every person doing the screen test has to say a little bit about what they've done. So, you know, I'm going to turn the camera on and you just tell me what you've done. Well, remember, I hadn't done a lot. I hadn't done any television, any film, anything. So I just said, hi, I'm Annalisa. I'm an actress and I love it. That honesty must have been pretty refreshing for him. Well, he just had a big smile. And so I did the screen test and wearing his sweater. And then about... Four days later, you know, I never expected anything to come of it. Four days later, my agent says, calls me up, and it's like 5 o'clock in the evening, and he, he said, 
He said, you better sit down. And I go, what is it? And he goes, he goes, I thought you said that you were a good actress. He goes, I thought you said that you had experience. And I said, yeah, well, I, I thought I did. I think I do. And he said, well, you know what? Joel Thurm just called me and, he, and you're flying to New York in two days. Oh, you, wow. got the, you got the lead in the soap opera. Wow. No, no kidding. And you hadn't even really, it wasn't really even a reading. No. Oh, I didn't even gosh. know what the girls were being tested for, really. I mean, I didn't pay attention to it at all because I wasn't being considered. At least I thought I wasn't. Yeah, so that was a that was a pure, raw screen test then. And Joel yeah. Thurm, obviously, being having an incredible eye for talent. Boy, that's, so, that's pretty flattering. So what the heck did you think? I just skinged up and down, you know, skinged up and down, and I called my family, and because uh, I had to leave, like, in... Two days. The, the role started. This was like a Friday, and the role started Monday. I had to be in New York by Sunday. Wow! And um, I had to make arrangements for my little car. From you know, box up all my stuff because I had an apartment in Hollywood already, and um, just a lot, a lot of stuff. And there were a lot of funny stories getting myself ready to go. And how um, old? How old are you at this time? Probably nineteen, twenty. I just had gotten probably twenty. Yeah. So yeah. you're heading to New York for a soap opera. You're on the fast track. It was all pretty thrilling. Pretty, and pretty talk thrilling. about training. That's fabulous training. So tell us, tell us about the work on the soap opera. That was very, very funny. I mean, you had, um, to, lear- you had to learn a lot about camera quickly. After the, the screen test, it was, it was like very natural because it was just like walking to your mark on a, on a stage, really. You know, and I was never, the, the camera and I just made friends right away. And so it was, it was nothing that was scary to me or none of that. I mean, it was thrilling to be working in New York. You know, and I got off the plane, I called my mom, and I said, you always said I talk too fast, I walk too fast. Well, this is my city. Exactly. <laughs> oh, that's great. It's it true. Was, yeah, it was that kind of a feeling. And the cast was so warm, so welcoming. You know, I stayed friends with a couple of them for a very long time. It was a great experience. And, uh, and what soap opera was this? It was Ryan's Hope. Uh-huh. And I, I played a 15-year-old a candy striper at the hospital. But, How long were you there? Well, I was there. I had a year contract. And uh, as the contract was ending, my agent called and said, you know, there's a, a woman who's interested in meeting you who's going to be in New York. Her name is Eleanor Kilgallen. And she runs the Universal Contract Department. Because at that time, there were still Universal Contract players. Right. And so I said, great. So I met with Eleanor, and she said, you know, don't sign a new contract. I would like to bring you out to L.A. to, um, to be our, one of our universal contract players. I just need to talk to my partner, Monique James. Oh, boy. So, so Ryan, so it really became your showcase. I guess it did. It, it became my training ground. And then the next few months later, I, I started you know, under contract at Universal and did, again, a lot of different types of shows. So um, tell, tell us real quickly, so, so how does that work? You're, you have a regular recurring role on a major hit soap opera. You're being seen nationwide almost every day of the week. You're getting incredible exposure. Especially in those days, yeah. uh, soap operas were huge. Right. So the people at Universal Casting, I mean, you drop the names Monique James. There was no bigger name at that time. They come out to New York. They have a conversation over tea with you or whatever. And you're, so, I mean, things are really beginning to happen. Aren't you getting a little, isn't this kind of intimidating? We're talking about the movies now. Universal was not a soap opera factory. It was a major film studio. Yeah, but I think there's a beauty in the ignorance of youth. You know, it's like I was, you know, I really never saw myself, ever truly ever saw myself as, as, that, as, as that, you know, as, oh, my God, this is the movies, and oh, my God, I'm an... I might be a movie star, and oh my God, I'm a television star. You know, I just always just was a working actress. And so, you know, when Eleanor met with me, it was like, you know, I was getting interviewed for a job, and could I do my job? It was just such a kind of a natural experience. Intimidation, I don't think that would be a word that I would have used for myself. I think, you know, I always have, you know, a fear because I expect a lot of myself, but I always just push past it. But I would do that in any profession, whatever I did. So it was just about doing the work, and I felt very, very uh, fortunate to be, again, working You know, and Universal certainly did offer opportunities that, you know, I was loaned out for a lot of wonderful television movies. You know, I, my first television movie was called The Sackets. And I remember the first time in front of a film camera, 
you know, what that felt like, very different than shooting in front of a soap opera camera where you don't stop. Now, now being a contract player at Universal, that was pretty much Universal's heyday. They had a lot of shows going on. Yes, and I did, you know, a lot of episodics, a lot. I mean, I was on, you know, they used their contract players to fill in, you know, Murder, She Wrote, Battlestar Galactica, Buck Rogers, Quincy. I mean, they were... You actually worked on a couple of shows that I was on at the same time. We, we never met at that time. I was working on BJ and the Bear and, yes. and Battlestar Galactica and yes. Sheriff Lobo. Yes, These, all of those I did. N- none of it was Shakespeare, but boy, they were popular shows. We were getting 30 shares. and I mean, Quincy was a major hit series for a long time. It really was, and he was such a nice man. So, Anna, let, let's get you to, I'm sure you're, you remember your audition for Falcon Crest. Mm-hmm, I do very much. So I want to hear your impressions, and then I have the opportunity, I have somebody here that can tell you his impression. What's funny, Bob, is that I don't remember you in the room. I mean, <laughs> not to hurt your ego, but the whole thing is that I remember. Yeah, you I were remember. in the moment, Sure. Well, no, I remember, of course, the casting director, sure, um, Dora, Dora Saba, because um, you know, um, I, just to give you a backstory on Doris, Doris had called me in like a few months before for to audition for Flamingo Road, and by this time I had changed agencies. Joel had switched agents at that time, um, and so uh, I went to the to meet Doris, and it was another. I've been playing a lot of virgins at the time. And I said to Doris, I said, you know what, I said, I don't, thank you for the opportunity, but I, I just don't want to play this particular role. It's not exciting to me. And she said, well, you know, it's a series regular. And I said, I know, and I don't want to be ungrateful, but it's not really the next step for me. And when my agents heard about that, they just went crazy, obviously, because here's a series, a, you know, very popular series. And, and they said to me, who do you think you are, blah, blah, blah. But it wasn't really coming from ego. It was coming from where I now felt that I should be doing because my teacher at the time was having me do stuff like Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, very different kinds of roles. So Doris said, don't worry. And agents don't understand sometimes the power of no. When you say no to somebody, what does that create? It creates more want. So I'm sure Doris certainly put that in her repository of kind of an emotional reaction. Somebody actually turned down a recurring role on a hit series like Flamingo Road, they must really be good. Well, you know, Doris is a very special type of casting person. I mean, she was unique and wonderful. What she said to me when I said that, she said, you know, don't you worry about it. She said, I I will find the right thing for you. She just got me right away. She had a, you know, she was very perceptive, very intuitive. So sure enough, you know, like a month or two later, she calls me in again for this role. I didn't even have to read in front of her. She just said, this is something you're going to like. <laughs> and I got the script. And so I came in. I knew Doris was in the room. And I knew she had, you know, put herself out there for me. And in the scene, you know, the whole uh, action in the scene is to seduce this man. And Doris was reading the role of a man. So I proceeded to seduce Doris. Perfect. <laughs> the opposite of a virgin. Perfect. <laughs> yes. And and I just remember as I'm seducing Doris, you know, I think I even ran my fingernails up her stockings. I mean, something that everyone would tell you never to touch a casting director. Ever. I, re- I, I remember it very well, <laughs> and I and I spent a lot of time in the room with Earl Hamner, as you know. Yeah. Uh, all I know is that the minute you walked in the room, Earl Hamner started to blush, and I knew when that happened that you already had the part. You probably didn't even have to open your mouth. <laughs> you talk about a virginal personality. I'm a very conservative guy raised in the South and uh, embarrassed by a lot of things like that. And the fact that you could make him feel something really guaranteed the cast. Well, it's interesting you say that because I remember, that's why, I mean, I never I never felt you in the room because obviously you were pretty comfortable in there. But I felt Doris, obviously, because she and I were going to have this exchange. And then, and I was hoping that she would be okay with it. I mean, I'd only met her once. And then I felt Earl just, you know, really kind of moving around in his chair to the <laughs> point that at one point when I started to, you know, put my fingernails on his stocking, he said, okay, okay, thank you so much. That was great. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> and he stood up. And who was that wonderful director who was in the room? See, I, I, I think it was uh, the one who used to lay down on the ground. Larry Ellican. Yes. I think it was Larry in the room. Yeah. He, Larry was a little bit of a dirty old man. 
Yeah. <laughs> Actually, the, the 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 couple of episodes that Suzanne uh, had a little bit of a guest shot in, uh, Larry also directed, and uh, one of the reasons she got cast is I think he was a dirty old man. Well, you know, he was a dirty old man in the best sense because he put it on the camera. Right. You right. know, so he never approached me outside the camera, and I actually. Oh no, no. Had- he, he. My point is, he was. He had a sensual eye. And, yeah. he, and he appreciated people who could bring that kind of energy into the lens as opposed to just reading lines. It's abs- you're absolutely right. And so he directed my first guest star. And and I remember he would say, just do it for the camera. They're watching you. And uh, a week into the shooting, my agent called and she said, okay, you nailed it. They want to do a contract. But it was Larry, I think, who literally he would, you know, give me straws to play with in my drink. I mean, <laughs> he was just... Absolutely. Yeah. He was always pushing that sensuality, as you said. He had that kind of a feel. And he and knew and he knew how to create the what we call business for actors that would translate far beyond anything in the text. Yes, it's it's true. So what was it like getting that kind of a news and knowing that you're suddenly going to be working with Jane Wyman, Susan Sullivan, Robert Foxworth? I mean some pretty heavyweight actors. It was thrilling. Uh, I kind of knew when I left the room. You know, I kind of knew when I left the room because the energy, like you said, that Earl put out and that Doris, Doris kept smiling at me during the whole audition. But Earl's energy was so, uh, I could tell he was so affected. And then when Earl stood up and he said the things he said, and then, uh, you know, there was a, there's other people in the room, you were being, you were one of them, but, you know, I just got the sense that the deal was done. And so when I walked in the door into my apartment, I had the phone call. It really didn't surprise me because I also did what I needed to do as an actress. I felt, you know, when I was sitting in, in the room waiting to go in, I felt like I wasn't caught up in everybody else in the room, you know, how beautiful they are, how talented they are, I'm never going to get this. I was just prepping to go in and seduce, you know, Lorenzo, you know, and, and I think that is the key that I'm realizing as an actor is, you know, you, you do your action, you know, um, as Melissa, I did my action in, in the scene. I wasn't, you know, on Alicia doing my action in an audition scene, worried about whether I was going to get the role or not. And what was your first day like on the set? Oh, wow. It was so romantic. I mean, romantic, I mean, it was just like a beautiful day. You know, they made me up like I'd never been made up, and they dressed me like I'd never was dressed before. My mom always said, you're going to have to find someone that dresses you, baby, because <laughs> I always wore jeans and T-shirts. I still do. And sure enough, they dressed me up, and... And I walked on the set, and I met Jane, and she was so gracious. And I met Billy and instantly fell in love. He was the first boy I met. And then I met Lorenzo and fell in love again. And, and There were two uh, very, and still are, but two very handsome young men, for sure. Yeah, and they were mine. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I had never had, you know, like a lot of boyfriends. You know what I mean? And it was just like, oh, my God, I get to live out my dream. You know, I'm... I, you got to have two. A blonde oh and a God. brunette. I got to have two. I got to drive this, these hot cars. I got to be rich. I got to be a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I got to be all those things that I never got to be in real life. At the time, the show was a kind of a hit, but by the time you were there a good half a year to a year, it became huge. Were you aware of that right away? You know, I wasn't aware of my connection with the show getting big. I knew the show was growing and, and, you know, just coincidentally, I had seen that show, the first episode of the pilot I had seen. And I had said to my mom, if I'm going to do a series, that would be the one I would want to do because the caliber of acting was so high. I mean, you saw, you know, Robert Fox, Susan Sullivan, David Selby. I mean, everybody on that show was such, was such a strong actor. To me, it was the writing, it was the producing, it was the, the collaboration. I mean, we had a really tight-knit group of people. And, and cast- Lorimar had fabulous casting people who really knew how to put these things together. Well, you know, I mean, Doris was amazing. And after Doris, you know, I, I know they still had really good casting people. But it was just a good group. And, and you know, I just was very, very happy on that show. How many years were you on it? Seven and a half years. That's, yeah. called, that's called being a survivor. <laughs> Thanks to Bob McCullough. <laughs> I always thought Bob McCullough was in my corner. What changes did you see take place uh, over the eight years you were there? Well, you know, I, I didn't really 
you know, noticed the changes because it was a natural kind of blossoming of characters and storylines up until the time period when there was the whole regime change at the end, you know, where the Melissa character was killed off and then they started killing off a lot of different characters about that same time period and bringing in a very large cast. And I think when you started bringing in so many characters, my feeling was it lost the heart of the show. I didn't analyze it a lot, but the few times that I sh saw the show, once they started, you know, getting rid of some of the original characters and really replacing them with a large cast, I just felt that it lost it, its heart, its soul, and it became difficult to follow. I, that was my impression. Also, when they started doing that, I, I would think they are diluting the family so much that there was no sense of family ties, whether they be good or bad, that the family dynamics were pretty much gone. And that's what I equate to the heart of the, of the show. You know, once you lose family, then you don't care about anybody. Now, now, during the period you were on there, you and David Selby worked together quite a bit. How was, how was he as an actor for you? Very exciting. He's, he's very generous. We had a lot of fun. I mean, you know, we were lovers on the show, so that was really fun. I mean, I never, you know, we had to wear all these little tiny things with him in the bed, and he would always tease me. And, I mean, it was, you know, people would come on the set and be watching while we're supposed to be making love, and I've got all these ridiculous costumes on that look like I'm naked, but I'm not naked. And, I mean, it was just... It was very funny. So he and I, you know, had a lot of fun. It was very nice. And so you were off the show and then your agent called you and said they want you back on. You know, they've gotten a lot of response and they want you back on the show. And they're going to have to bring you in as a different character because they killed you off as Melissa. Well, I think by then the uh, the new producers were pretty much scrambling to hang on to every rating point they could any way they could because mm -hmm. as i recall and I, I very rarely watched the show after i'd left but there was a whole thing with nazis and buried treasure and uh some of the storylines got pretty far afield of w where we had really begun and yes. uh, when you look at fan pages and things like that on the internet uh boy they're very critical of the last couple of years people have reached out to me who were major fans of the show and who contacted the you know that the second reign of producers and just basically said to them that they ruined the show and some of the producers actually admitted to it later that they felt they had without meaning to obviously now now before we leave falcon crest and, and we must eventually what, what what was your favorite episode on that show or your favorite day on the set i think there were two days very different days i think the one day i had so much fun because um i got to dance oh there's three days I got to dance. Melissa was at this party, and she gets drunk, and she's dancing, and she's putting her leg up, I think, on Lorenzo's shoulder. And, and that the song was, it was Twist and Shout. Yes. And oh, that's a good that. song. Oh, my God. And I love to dance. So that was so much fun. And then there was another episode where Melissa is going crazy, and so she gets to be this kind of soulful singer at these really, really trashy bars and she dresses up really kind of weird and she goes and she sings Body and Soul and Goody Goody <laughs> and I had never sung and it was so much fun to play this, you know, woman is completely out of her mind a little bit, you know. And then there was a scene where I'm supposed to go crazy and start cutting things with my scissors in my bedroom just I just start cutting everything in the bedroom and then all of a sudden it just I got this inspiration to say the our father and I started to say the our father but I said it so quickly which is good because you probably couldn't say the our father but I said it so quickly it was like I was speaking in tongues because I gotten in, got into this frenzy this frenzied space and it was so exciting as an actor to go into that space so those are the things I remember did they leave that scene in there do you remember yes oh yeah I oh that's great now, we all spent a lot of time in Napa Valley. As an actress, did you prefer to work on a set in L.A. or, or I guess what I'm trying to get at, did you find it disruptive going on location and then coming back? I think it was hard to concentrate in Napa because we had a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> so, so um, you know, we would stay at the hotels and, or at the condos, and I remember playing tennis with the two of you guys, and... Uh, we just really enjoyed our time away, all of us, the crew, the cast, and so we would go out dancing every night to the hotel bar. And the tricky part was, you know, we did all the exteriors in Napa, 
you know. So most of the exteriors were not very emotional, so that we could get away with all of it. But one time I got an exterior where I'm knocking on a door because I just lost the baby, and I just lost it completely, and I, you know, really have got to really go there, and I couldn't go there. <laughs> you know, it was like it's like the frame of mind was not to go. It was just not there. I was I unfortunately, sadly, did not do the appropriate amount of work. So when I got to L.A. and I had to shoot the interior of that, you know, I was ready to do that when I walk in the door, but I had to end up looping what I did outside the door. So when the show began to really wind down, what was the last day like? My last day on the show? Yeah. That's an interesting question. I mean, you, um, had, you had to know it was the last day. Yeah, I did know it was the last day. And, um, you know, they brought me a cake and gave me a gift. Oh, that's so emotional. My God. Yeah, and everyone came together. But, you know, I I think there was was, uh, such mixed feelings. Um, I don't think I got to be really sad because, you know, the way that they did what they did, you know, I, I was told that when the new regime came in that I was going to be, you know, have a much more interesting part and that it was going to be really extraordinary. And then a few days later, they called my agent and said, we're not going to be using her. We've already replaced her with another character. So the way it was done was so uncomfortable and so distrusting for me that I just, you know, it wasn't a place that I was going to let down, if you know what I mean. Right. And so I, I loved my crew. I loved my cast. And, but I knew that I would continue to see them and have contact with them. So, um, you know, I think I was probably pretty stoic. Well, you're pretty, you were you're kind of guarding yourself at that point. Yeah, guarding myself because uh, you know the, the people that had fired me were there. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. celebrating my last day, how wonderful I was, and everything. And it was, and I mean, if they had been straight about the way it happened, I think I would have been much more genuine in my response that day. But but the way they did it, it was like I didn't trust them. <laughs> Well, that's, uh, you know what I would say? I'd say welcome to Hollywood. You know, I think there is that. But I think we can't lose faith that, that there is the other. Yeah. And uh, I'm at a time now in my life where I only want to work with the other. It's, it's, it certainly isn't like the show had been canceled and the whole show was winding down and that cake was for the whole cast. Like you said, there's a good way to do things and a bad way. And that was not the right way. So, so once once you're basically at liberty, what does an actress who's been on a major hit series and really has an international profile by now? And I must interject. Yeah, most actresses or actors do not have a seven year run. Oh, right, right. You know, no, I mean, it was fabulous. Anna, you were obviously very unique in your generation to have that kind of a profile. So now you're at liberty. And you wind up working with people like Raul Julia. Yes, that was a gift to me. I actually think I did that movie while I was still on the show. But what happened when I left the show, it was a soul-searching time, you know, especially after I'd gone back the second time and realized that I could really make this, continue to make this my life. Something happened within me, and I'd been feeling it for a little while, but it really set in, and it was, I was living my life on the set, you know, the, the hours, you know, four in the morning, five in the morning, getting home sometimes at 11 at night, you know, having things to do on the weekends for the show. Traveling. It was your whole life. I mean, it morning, was, it noon, was, and night. Right. It was my whole life, and all the things I had on the show, whether it was a boyfriend or children, or I didn't have a life outside the show, and I wanted a life outside the show. You're at the point of your life where you are looking around saying, I need a personal life here. Is is this all there is, right? Yeah. Right. And I think seeing the two of you, you know, I think being around the two of you showed me what uh, a good, you know, artistic relationship could be like. And so, you know, I was seeing people around me with relationships and and, uh, children and a life. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to, this is the craziest thing, but I thought I'm going to go find the father of my child. I was ready to have a, a child. It was like I was rocking my little dog to sleep, you know. <laughs> and um, and so I started finding opportunities to travel because I had met people, but I really hadn't met anyone that I thought, you know what, this is this is the guy I want to father my kids. Uh, and I wasn't sure I was going to meet him in L.A., you know, for sure, because I wasn't sure I liked, uh, you know, the business, nothing about the business. And so I started traveling, and I got an offer to go to France to, to host a stunt show there, a big, big stunt show. And so I got a couple of first-class tickets for my best friend and I. And we went there, you know, just, just to see what the world was like. You know, we went to France. And uh, 
And sure enough, I walk into the hotel lobby, and uh, this guy calls my name, the producer of the show, and I turn around and I look at this man, and immediately I knew he was the father of my child. That's crazy. I mean, like instantaneously. <laughs> did he know it? <laughs> you know, he always said he didn't, but now he says he did. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but, they always say that well, As long as both parties recognize that vibe, <laughs> you're, you're in good shape. So it, ironically, right, we get together there, and we come back, and we find out that we actually, his, his work was actually half a mile from my house, his offices. So we could have met at any time in California, and we never did. You know, he. You had to go to France to find each other. I mean, to make a long story short, we ended up having two extraordinarily beautiful children and were married for, you know, many years. And then a year ago, we separated, right, thinking, you know, maybe we'll get a divorce. You know, the children had gone away and all this stuff and the difficulties of married life and the struggles and everything. And he bought a house up the street, but we were kind of headed to our divorce and something took a turn. And I ended up going to Paris again with some, uh, to Europe with my son, and I ended up in Paris. Well, he ends up meeting me in Paris. This is just like a, you know, a couple months ago. We end up finding the two hotels, the one we met in and the one we went to. This, this, <laughs> this sounds like a Nora Ephron movie. And we found these hotels, and, they were, and they're actually um, you know, tearing one down to remodel it next month. So we found these hotels just at the nick of time, and we ended up staying at our hotels. And so it was. It's been an extraordinary coming back together. How romantic, um, Bob! Yeah. I think we need to go to France. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can need... tell you. It's I'll time. Tell you <laughs> yes, I'll tell you where to go. All right, <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. So, so after after Falcon Crest, you you continue to do uh, series work. After Falcon Crest, um, I literally kind of pulled myself out. I did a few things. Because I was kind of sought out for them. I think I did a pilot for a series. Uh, and then I did something Lorenzo asked me to do for him. But I really had lost my appetite for really working. I really wanted to be a mother. I can't tell you that feeling. It's just sort you know, organic in, in you. And you just, it's just like, it's just something that happens to a woman or can happen to a woman. It happened to me. And I had never thought about having children, never really thought one way or the other about having children or getting married. And then one day, oh, my God. That you know, it just hit me. So when I met my husband, you know, literally a year later, I was pregnant. That you know, I did a show when I was pregnant. I did, I did a show. I was five months pregnant, and I had to be naked in the show. And so they shot me from the boobs up. I think. I mean, I wasn't totally naked. I wasn't naked, naked, but I was supposed to look naked. But then when my daughter was three and my son was one, you know, I got offered um, really, you know, to do a series, and I just said to my husband, you know, if I was going to do one, I would only do one we would produce because I want to be a mother first, and so I don't want to come to work and be the queen and then not be able to stay up with my kids because i got to look at the next day and have a nanny raise my kids. I just, I don't really want to do that. So that's when, you know, I told my agent, and she was disappointed, and she said, oh, my God, you'll probably never work again, and well, they and all just, say that. They all said that, but it didn't really seem to matter at the time. And I walked away, I guess, really when my daughter was three or four and began and raised my children on my own and uh, became a full-time mom and have loved every, loved every single second of it. The difficult times, all, it was, you know, it was, an ex- it was better, better than anything I could have ever dreamed of. Well, I think so many actresses that had your success kind of get on this wheel and they want it all, as you and I know. You can't have it all and do it well, no matter how hard you try. There's always regrets. I've talked to many actresses, and they have all said the same thing. Um, the ones who have kept on working when they've had families, they have enormous guilt because they missed a lot of special moments with their kids. You know, I think everybody just has to do what's in their heart. And I, from what I hear, you don't have one iota of regret. No, I I did it exactly the way I wanted to do it. I mean, you know, um, this is something I had wanted to ask you. Uh, in your showbiz career, is there anything you would have done differently? You know, as we're talking about what we're talking about, I think the only thing I would have done differently is to, to have kept my foot in the door. Because now as I go back to work, it truly is like starting over. That even when you have your children, yes, they come first. But, you know, those little tiny things here and there that you can do just to keep yourself in the working place, you know, as, as so that when you, your children are gone, you know, it's not about reinventing yourself completely. Now, Anna, when you were cast for Falcon Crest and you were working a lot, there weren't that many Hispanic actors or actresses working. 
No. Uh, did you ever feel when you were out going for auditions, did you ever feel that you were Hispanic and didn't have enough roles? Because now I think the Hispanics are coming into their own. You know, the, the population has grown cr- quite a bit, so the demand for Hispanic actresses, I think, has, has um, changed. But did you ever feel that discrimination at all? I'm Mexican. I love being Mexican. You know, that's where my heart is. That's my first language. That's where I light up, you know, when, when I get to play those type of roles or, you know, go back to my country. But I don't think that way. So I was just, you know, I would go to whatever auditions they would send me. And it, it was, unless I had to use an accent, it was not to me whether they were Mexican or white or whatever. It was more, their, you know, where they came from, their families. That, that's there for me, that blood memory is there for me in the roles that I'm looking at, and I'd love to use it. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be very difficult, I think, for anybody of any age to repeat history. But it's almost like trying to get back into the business when you've been gone for a number of years. And regardless of what your age is, that starting over thing is not going to be easy. It's never easy, right? But anything, like they say, you know, anything worthwhile is never easy. I don't know anything in life, anything. You know, whether it's parenting, you know, uh, law school, acting, waitressing. I mean, I've never found anything easy because I give it 100%. The difficult things I've gotten past it is, you know, the the fear, you know, um, because fear tends sadly to increase with age because you know so much. And when I was young, I made a whole speech at this award ceremony where I got here because I didn't know better, right? I didn't know I couldn't get here. So that is the frame of mind that I'm coming from. You know, I want to be that baby again. I want to, you know, not know any better. I want to understand, you know, the boundaries of the business we work in so that I can push through them, so that I can not buy into their reality. And what's happening is I really have only started back uh, two or three weeks. I've been starting to focus, and so I'm back, you know, working on, you know, camera. I'm back in classes. I just signed a wonderful writer to um, who's going to uh, write a play for uh, my friend and I to do. And, you know, I'm just starting to look at television again, look at where I fit. Uh, there's a couple of screenplays. I'm looking for a young writer um, to write with me that I have. That I have the stories. They're very powerful, and they have a lot to do with my Hispanic roots. Actually, both of these particular ones do. So for, so, so for, the, for those uh, producers, writers, uh, packagers who are uh, out there looking for people, how would somebody contact you with a project? And there's so many shows out there that you're going to be perfect for. You know, television has exploded. It isn't just three networks anymore. There are 25 different outlets for product. And you're in, imminently castable. How would somebody get a hold of you with an offer? I haven't come to terms with that because I really haven't um, gone out and gotten my agent or uh, my manager yet uh, because I'm, I'm creating opportunities for myself and getting the, the, the wheels rolling. And then I want to do, um, you know, I, I probably will do some stuff on videotape and then through that maybe go out there and get myself representation. Well, you know, well, we can always have you back, Anna, and you can tell us how to contact you. Well, what I'm going to do, though, is um, the next couple of days is I'm gonna I'm putting together a, a public Facebook. So I don't know if people, I guess people contact you that way. Sure, sure, um, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm putting together a public Facebook. So that would be the way to contact me. And I'm looking for scripts uh, for a couple of reasons. I'm looking for scripts for myself. I'm also looking for young writers who are interested in writing. Um, and um, I have a French director girlfriend who's amazing. I'm looking for a suspense thriller for her. And my husband's production company is now branching out into feature films. So I'm looking for scripts for them as well. And what's the name of his company? DRB Entertainment. They're also a distribu- distribution company. Wonderful. So, now, now, Anna, would, would you ever consider being a director or a producer? Well, I mean, that would have been my dream, but, you know, I, I, the skill that it takes to be a director, you know, I actually thought about going to AFI for three years, um, and I also thought of, you know, taking a serious writing course, and I've, I've thought of many things because that the artist is bubbling in me, but a friend said, do one thing at a time, you know, and the thing I know, the thing I've always known is acting, so... I will, you know, step back into my work and I will produce as I go, you know, projects for myself, projects for um, other people, uh, and let it naturally flow. But so, I'm going to give, you know, this acting thing a real go before I... Well, I think, I think you know. you, you, it's a slam dunk. Certainly, there's a lot of fans for Analicia from Falcon Crest, 
But we also have listeners who are young and they would love to get in the business. What advice would you give a young woman looking to get into acting? I would give the same advice I gave my own daughter. Uh, my daughter did not know I was an actress until she was nine because my husband, you know, really didn't want any more actors in the family. Right. <laughs> Perfect. Um, Perfect producer, so, right? Um, so, when, but when she was five, she came home from kindergarten and she said, Mama, I got to go on stage. I did my first play today and I got to go on stage. And I called my husband and I said, It wasn't me. This isn't her gene. <laughs> So the trick with my daughter uh, was actually pulling the reins on her since she was little because she wanted to work professionally since she was tiny. And I wanted her to be a child. And now she thanks me for that. So she, you know, got her training. I mean, she started doing plays when she was five or six in school, you know, went in to do the leads in her high school productions and uh, did a lot of community theater. And then when it came to college, she got accepted to many, many schools, and the one she ended up uh, taking was Carnegie Mellon University, which is a very difficult program to get into. I think they they allow eight girls a year, nine girls a year from all over the world. That's, that's the big. That's the big time. You must be yeah. so proud of her. I am extremely proud of her. But what she, you know, the thing about my daughter is that she has incredible discipline. I mean, she was a ballerina. She, in fact, did her first professional show this year um, on point at a Pittsburgh, one of the best Pittsburgh theaters, and uh, while she's going to college. So my feeling is, you know, you need to get training. You know, I mean, you can come out here and hope that, you know, the camera likes you and that you're going to become a star, but what will happen is midway through your career, you're, you're not going to feel like you have the legs that you need to really do the kind of stuff that you want to continue to do. I think training is huge. I think if there's anything else that you want to do, I think you should do something else. It's a very, very difficult business. You must be happy just in the process of it, just acting. If you're not happy, just acting. And if you need to be a star, you're always going to be miserable. So to me, it's it's work. Do theater, um, as Bob's saying, probably social media. But don't do social media until you've already gotten your legs as an actor. You don't want to get a job and not be ready for it. You know, and, and the other thing is, once you know that you can do the work, you know, then nothing can stop you. Nothing. There's always a door. There's always a way in. You know, and you can't listen to anybody. You must listen to yourself. And the only person you compete against is yourself. You know, most good athletes know that. The only person you're really competing is against yourself. You can't get into that kind of, you know, BS. It's got to be about your craft. And, you know, and then... I think being ethical, I think being good to other people, I think being generous. Well, you, you, know? cert- you, you have certainly been the embodiment of that ever since I've known you, and I knew you as a, almost as a child. And your personal, I, I almost want to say your aura, has always been incredibly positive and the opposite of selfish. The word generous isn't even sufficient. You have just been a very giving person, and I think that you're going to see... Tremendous returns coming back to you. Well, thank you, Bob. I mean, I think in my life I have gotten so many returns personally and professionally. And I think the way I look at it is I think it's gratitude. I feel very I feel very blessed each day for the things that I have. And the health, you know, that your health, your career opportunities, your family, you know, it's just, you know, I just feel very, very blessed. Well, we, we, we feel nothing but gratitude for your doing this podcast with us. And okay. I, I think you're going to be a real exemplar for all the, the hopefuls out there. And, and your message is both positive and a bit cautionary and comes from tremendous experience. And there's, you, know, you have an, an innate intelligence, and we can feel that coming across. So I do want to thank you for doing this. And I hope that uh, you and Suzanne will get together socially really soon so I can see you and give you a big hug. Actually, it's, oh. my, it's my turn to pay for lunch. I just want to be invited to the next lunch then. Well, Absolutely. <laughs> I can't wait. I send you a big hug, Bob. I All really right. do. And you too, Suzanne. And okay. Thank you so much. For Love you, Anna. Me. We'll talk soon. Love you too. Thanks too. for doing Thanks. this. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Isn't she great? I just love her. Talk about energy. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, she she has not changed a bit. Well, no doubt we'll be seeing her on uh, TV real soon. I have no doubt. You know, when I had lunch with her, um, you know, I'm not that much of a superficial person. 
Do you think I am? Not at all. Anyway, I just wanted to say she looked fabulous. <laughs> and with well, that's no, not superficial. Well, no, but and with no effort, um, she just is so naturally beautiful. Yeah, well, she's got great energy. Obviously, pretty bright and uh, very bright. I, I, my guess is she'll be producing her own show pretty soon. Yeah, I, I have. A great affinity for Annalisio because uh, we kind of all started out together. Right. Hey, listen, before we go, I want to remind everybody to go to the website at wherehollywoodhides.com and please take a look at our book, Where Hollywood Hides, Santa Barbara, Celebrities in Paradise. It's available on Amazon or through the website where you get free shipping. We're getting really excited because the Santa Barbara Film Festival is coming and it's going to be a very popular item especially for the tourists who are going to come in for the festival. Uh, they can order it on Amazon. Right. It's a, listen, it's just a great souvenir of Hollywood celebrities and Santa Barbara. So please check it out at the website at wherehollywoodhides.com, where you'll also find show notes on, on Alicia's podcast and all the other interviews we've done. And some fabulous pictures of Annalisa as well. So until next time. This is Suzanne McCullough. And this is Bob McCullough. I forgot to say Herrera McCullough. Say it. Go ahead and say it. This is Suzanne Herrera McCullough. We'll and, and this is Robert L. McCullough. And we'll see you next time. See you at the movies. And today's music is provided by Chance McCullough. You can find more of his original soundtracks at chancemccullough.com. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, please take a minute and give us a five-star rating and a quick comment or review at iTunes forward slash where Hollywood hides. Those reviews really do help get the word out. And drop by our Facebook page at facebook.com slash where Hollywood hides and hit that like button. Hooray for Hollywood! Hooray for Hollywood!